0: I suffer from it, how to control my emotions, because at the end, we are all humans. We are all having our own feelings, and it's full of emotions, and you need to be strong.
1: This is Farah Omari from IRC Lebanon, talking about a shared stress that happens on a regular basis in case management and social work. A human connection is the foundation of our work, and it's what makes this work truly rewarding, impactful, and empowering. And yet, and this is the big yet that Farah is talking about, it's also what makes this work stressful. We're humans absorbing the distressing stories and experiences of the people we serve on a daily basis. We're connecting with individuals over a trauma, a vulnerability, and receiving this level of stressful information is something that we have to manage. And that's why self-care is a tough topic. It has to be proactively minded because it's so easy to ignore. Even this episode is a microcosm of what happens with self-care in real life. We discussed, organized, and recorded this topic months ago. And I mean months ago. Then, dreading the editing of this, I procrastinated. And at one point thought I lost it entirely, only to recently discover the episode and finally edit it. It's reflective of the trends related to this topic, self-care. Something that gets shoved to later, sometimes gets lost entirely. pushed to the ends of training in case you're short on time, to the end of guidelines because there's so much important information to get to first. We say, sometimes flippantly, it's something that can be self-studied or something we all intrinsically know how to do. Something that's not as much needed for group discussion. Waiting to talk about self-care, waiting to do something about it until there's no prevention, no management, just burnout. It's just too easy to shift ourselves to last or later. This is the Women's Protection and Empowerment Podcast, where we give space to talking about women and girls in humanitarian settings. I'm Christy Crabtree. Rehan Ahari, Rahab Yaha, Jenica Henderson, Colleen Fitzgerald, and Farah Omari join me from IRC offices in Sacramento, Salt Lake, New York, and Lebanon, working in women's protection, child protection, and refugee resettlement, to look at the relationship between our work and how we care for ourselves in doing this work.
2: This is kind of the challenge that we have is balancing. We want to build this relationship and we want to build trust and connection, but at the same time, we need to maintain boundaries.
1: That's Colleen, Child Protection Case Management Specialist and devoted self-care promoter at IRC.
2: When people have experienced so much, it really pulls at your heart and you really feel for them, but at the same time, you need to still be a professional.
1: Balance and professionalism are core elements. But let's look back to the beginning. Why does this work require so much in-depth connection to emotions? What is it about case management and social work that connects us to the people we serve in such a unique way? Regardless of the population
2: that you're serving, case management is about really building a relationship with that individual that you're supporting. And it's carried out for a long duration of time. And I think this is something that's unique about the work compared to other types of responses. It's really through that listening and that understanding of that person's experience and honoring their experience and then helping them move forward and whether that be with that individual or also with their family when we work with children, that relationship piece is something that really I find inspiring and really touching about having an impact on that individual person's life. At some point,
0: the beneficiaries or the children or women said that we need someone to hear us, not money. We don't need money, and they need money in, in reality. But they, we don't need money as we need someone to hear us, someone to, to, to feel what we are feeling, to know what we are feeling, to recognize what we are feeling. So it's all about emotion and to be empathetic.
1: Even with the emotional toll of this work, for some, the motivation, the drive to do case management is about passion and giving back to a system or making a system better that we experienced ourselves. The community wellness specialist from Sacramento, Rihan herself, was an immigrant from Afghanistan.
3: We came here in the U.S. 18 years ago with my parents. I remember how difficult it was to navigate the system. Uh, We didn't have enough resources at that time. Luckily, now in these days, we have all of these organizations since I've been through all of those difficulties at that time. navigating the system, now I want to contribute and help uh, the new arrivals, new refugees, and help them support in any ways. and this is my passion.
1: A passion built from experience for some, and for others, it's about seeing empowerment. For Rehab, coaching officer in Lebanon.
4: If you have the commitment and the capacity to support vulnerable people, and especially the children and the women, so you have to support case management. It's exactly what the ISC logo saying is: from harm to home. So supporting and addressing their needs, is really important, and it's improved their life.
1: From Jenica, mental health coordinator in Salt Lake City.
5: I see refugee resettlement as a supportive network and system that supports individuals resettling to achieve successful outcomes that they define in tandem with individuals living here that work on their behalf so we serve as service providers in connecting to resources as well as helping people establish their presence here and then helping them connect to all the resources available to them and helping them navigate their new lives so that they can move towards self-sufficiency.
1: And it's also about seeing transformation, healing and recovery.
0: I remember my first case. She was a woman who lost her husband in, in the war and she came alone to Lebanon with her five children and she was harassed by the brother of her husband and in the first session he, she came and said that uh, I want to burn myself and my children. This is was well the first session with her and through case management in the last session, she became a very empowered woman. She has her own uh, her own shop, she started her own work, she is raising her children and through the case management and the safety planning and uh, the PSS sessions and individual sessions, she, she took her own home. It really changed lives. It really protects children or women who are the most vulnerable in the crisis.
1: The significant feelings of contribution and reward, the connection in our daily work to our passions, this drives a dedication to this work. But it's not a light job. Carrying the stories from the people you hear with you, it's hard to leave those behind. Some of it inevitably sticks with you. It's a residue of hearing stories and trauma and feeling committed to supporting others that can affect our own well being as practitioners.
2: When we're working directly with cases, we want to see a perfect solution and a perfect answer, and we know that very often we don't come to these perfect conclusions, and this work. Sometimes we feel like we want to do so much more, but there's such limited services and limited options for children and women who've experienced violence. And so thinking about that difficulty of feeling like there isn't always that perfect answer.
5: I think that there are systematic and institutional barriers that are layered on top of the barrier of being an immigrant and English being your second language or often third or fourth, just not your native language. On my side, it is hard because I hear past trauma stories on a daily basis and often they're quite detailed and they can include torture experiences and those things are difficult personally to hear and to hold. And then the work can become difficult when someone is struggling or having serious responses and perhaps PTSD or other mental health responses to that are related to their trauma for them to access the services you're hoping will help them so you're consistently providing a support to them but sometimes that is you as an individual are the one supporting the person you're working with and that burden can often feel quite heavy
1: so how does this impact us at the end of the day
3: It is difficult. I get exhausted. Being honest, emotionally, it has a very negative effect on me. All of these emotional stories that I'm listening all the time, every day, uh, emotionally, it's really
5: disturbing the burden for me is both emotional and it it can be very physical as well. I will have tension headaches often or feel very ill, like physically ill. And then you're also very exhausted because you've been giving so much emotionally and often physically you're driving around, you're meeting with different people, you're taking them places. So even just the burdens on your physical body are also significant and it It can be hard to find space when you're so exhausted to really take care of yourself or to take the necessary break. And it's also hard to distance yourself emotionally, particularly if you're very invested. They're going through some very heavy and difficult things on top of the difficulty of the resettlement process.
1: There's an emotional tax to doing this work with commitment and dedication. Sometimes it's exhaustion, be it emotional, mental, and even physical. It's the persistent presence of stress, and this leads to burnout.
5: It can look different for any person, but for me, I realize I'm feeling it often too late when I'm actually burned out, as opposed to seeing that there are maybe some more low-level moments where I could have intervened and taken care of myself ahead of time. But for me, an instance that comes to mind was actually not that long ago, about a year ago in the winter. I remember going into my supervisor and I was being brought to tears almost every day from small things that would typically not bring me to tears. And I told her, I I think that I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can continue to do this job. I feel like, I feel immobile. I feel as though I can't do anything at home. I can't do anything at work. I feel completely incapable of even thinking about what the next step is.
4: I start feeling very tired, helpless, and I lost the motivation. And sometimes I start blaming myself. Maybe I did something wrong or I did nothing for this case. And I start uh, isolated. And for example, if I need to make any task, it was taking longer time to get things done. And after I go home, I have eating and sleeping disorders. I start eating a lot or I stop eating. So I felt, yeah, I'm in a burnout stage.
0: The most common signs,
2: the change in the behavior of the caseworker. There's a close correlation between new caseworkers and the risk of burnout. This is something that we see and hear a lot, is that often new caseworkers come in and they're really motivated and have very high expectations as we discussed previously and work so hard and put in so much effort because of that enthusiasm and passion for the work, but it also can very quickly lead to burnout. Being really careful with encouraging new caseworkers to have healthy boundaries and realistic expectations and to really promote that practice of like taking a step back, taking breaks. And that's where this role of a supervisor is really important to really help set realistic expectations, promote healthy boundaries, and also for a supervisor to model that himself or herself.
1: There is cause for hope, ways to recognize, prevent, and respond to stress and burnout. Ways we can take care of ourselves and our colleagues. And this will look a little bit different for everyone. Supervision is one universal and critical function in aiding in self-care, both individually and collectively for staff. Boundaries and professionalism, another. And there are elements of this that are individual. So part of this is knowing and paying attention to what works for you. And there's no end to how creative you can get there.
4: At the end of each day, when I step out of the office, I brush myself to detach from my work. So I can separate between my personal and work life.
5: For me, setting concrete boundaries that are associated with a time of the day makes a big difference. And it's something I know I can do. I can say at five o'clock, at six o'clock, I'm done. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to check my emails. And it's harder than it sounds to not check your work emails after hours. But for me, I usually just Put my phone away, and I have my uh, my work email is has limited access when I'm at home, and that has helped me. I also do activities such as physical exercise. I knit and paint and draw, and those things really do help me. I've also found what helps me in stressful times and doesn't. So I I do singing and performing, and those things typically make me more stressed when I'm stressed out. But knitting and painting helps. I know that when I tell myself, oh, I just need to distance from the things emotionally, things like that, that never works for me. I think it's easy to say, oh, well, you just need to create an emotional boundary. And that is a lot harder for me. So what I do is I typically create actual phases of time in which I do something completely different. And that has helped a lot.
3: I have had a lot of hard time creating any boundaries and not helping clients afterward. Steadily, I learned to just take care of myself as well because I needed that self-care. And I taught all of my clients that if it's an emergency situation, please call 911. I didn't answer my phones after business hours or uh, I stop uh, checking my emails after hours. And then now I have daily, weekly, monthly and yearly goals. And daily I give myself at least one hour to do something that I love the most. And then every week I go to a concert or watch a movie. And then on a monthly basis, I go to picnic with my friends or family or get a massage. It's really helpful. Um, I love that. <laughs> and then also on a yearly basis, I travel. It's really helped me a lot. And then when I come back from my vacation, it's just a fresh start for me.
4: Appreciating and celebrating the small achievements, where if you do very small achievements, you have to celebrate by maybe having coffee or I go to, to a restaurant. I can celebrate with my friends or my colleagues that we did a really good, really good, but small achievement. For me,
0: I used to work with women in groups. We name it as Emotional Support Group. And the first session in, in this group was named The Shield. And uh, from this session, I learned to do my own shield which i always use it when i feel pressure or i feel that i am going to burn out my shield is containing my mother who i always talk to her when i feel that i'm in stress and uh, there is my children my two daughters where i i used to play with them when i feel that i am i'm having the feeling of sadness so i try to forget this by playing with my children Uh, in addition to this (laughs) This is something weird that I do it. But it makes me feel very like rest and comfortable. There is in Lebanon shops where they sell small things for $1. You can buy like dishes, toys for $1. So I entered this shop and I entered with my pressure and stress and try to work in this uh, shop and buy something. And when I leave this shop I feel like I left everything in this shop and get out from this shop with a new fire.
1: Personal and individual coping strategies, positive and healthy reactions to stress on an individual level are only complemented, made stronger when we join forces. There's strength in numbers too. Joint team or office self-care can reap rewards and keep us accountable to our own and our collective care. For this Some recommendations:
0: You need to talk about what you are feeling, because if it would be inside your heart, you will be ill. So always talk about your feelings. Always
4: share what you are feeling. We practice like meditation as a team. It really works when you do have the the whole team. Doing meditation, we do a really safe space with the trees and we do meditation. You feel like it's really good strategy and you feel, oh, you have no stress now.
0: There was a self-care session, which was conducted every Friday from the month, from the first of the month. We all sit in one room and there is a specific uh, topic we talked about and uh, it was very helpful.
3: As a team, in our office, we have a Happiness Committee. I have a group of co-workers who are voluntarily helping and running this committee which is very amazing and I'm grateful to have them on my team. We have Zen Hours we do yoga together we go to gym and then biking. So we are different groups which they are they con- they offering different activities and then see who likes to do what activity and then they, uh, they're doing it together and then um, after work we spend time together to talk about our problems and then how to solve all of those problems. And sometimes when I come to the office, I see an appreciation note on my keyboard that they appreciate my hard work. And it's really amazing.
5: We plan parties and we plan specific activities for the whole office. So we have set aside spaces and gotten supplies for people to engage in different types of activities they can do with their hands like knitting or coloring things like that and then we also in our individual teams meet on a regular basis and plan regular events together and then we have a running calendar of different yoga classes or things that people could attend if they wanted to attend with one another and in our individual team setting at least every other month we'll have a discussion about how people are doing and sort of a check-in to discuss our well-being. And we're going to start implementing the Mental Health Minute into our staff meetings each week where we remind people about self-care and give an idea of a way to take care of yourself for a fun activity. You could do a general tip. My advice for the group wellness is to really support one another and remember that we all are dealing with our own personal things And in addition to whatever the team as a whole or our, our entire office may be dealing with. So I love what Rehan mentioned about notes. We have a brag bowl, which is similar. And then during different holidays of the year, we'll write kind notes to each other and hang them up or pass them out. But I think regular, consistent support and thoughtful consideration of your coworkers goes a long way by reminding people that, what they do is important and that they as individuals are important to the work you do, but also just as a coworker, as a person in your life, I think that that
1: can make a very large impact. As we consider self-care in terms of practices and processes, some final words of advice.
3: You cannot solve every single problem of others, so try to make sure to take care of yourself as well you work best, you do your
5: best work when you are also well. But in addition to that, I think that one of the best ways to figure out what works is to try things. And so my advice would be, even if it's 10 minutes, try a breathing exercise. If you're feeling, even if you're not feeling stressed out, but see if it works for you or it's, Spend an hour of the day trying an activity and really just set aside the time, even if you tell yourself you don't have the time, set aside the time and do an activity that maybe you haven't tried but would be interested in and see if that actually helps you reduce stress. I have found that the activities that I do latch on to really do make me feel a sense of inner calm that other activities don't. And so I think that it's important that we each use our resources, but also use our time in an effective way to find the activity that works so that then you can go back to it in a time of high stress or burnout.
0: To highlight that our work is very precious, that our work is very important that we are impacting others' lives. All the work in case management must know that we are doing something very valuable.
1: Thanks to Rehan, Rehab, Jenica, Colleen, and Farah for sharing their experiences, practices, lessons learned, and hopefully, for many of you listening, ideas of how to take better care of ourselves. It's not up to us to drown ourselves just to hold others above the water. Self-care is about a culture of reducing stress, appreciating our work, preventing burnout and fatigue, and not emptying ourselves. We have to replenish our resources to continue this work. We're the most important part of making this work, work. So take care of you. Safety. Voice. Respect. Join the WPE movement.